The sadness and brokenness of our lives and world is all too real. Sometimes it feels as if every day something new falls apart. What are we supposed to do? God's grand plan from the beginning of creation is for his beloved children to bless the world, to be present as he is present, to be faithful as he is faithful to his promises, committed not to ourselves, but to a world worth saving. I'd encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn in them to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus is not normally a book of the Bible that when we read through, it quickly becomes one of our favorites. In fact, often when we're working our way through the Bible and we start at the beginning and we work our way through, Leviticus is one of those places and we kind of get bogged down and maybe even wonder why it's there. But it's worth noting that on the first Sunday of November, the church is invited to remember our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. And for them, the word of God in any form, in any place, is something to be treasured and valued. And so as uh, we prepare to spend some time in a portion of God's word that maybe doesn't normally rise to the top when we think of our favorites, we remember that all scripture is God-breathed and given to us for the purpose of our growth and our growing into the image of Christ. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for even this unique book of the Bible that helps us to understand who you are and who we are and who are, we are called to be. We thank you for the incredible gift that is your word. Forgive us for taking it for granted. We thank you for brothers and sisters around the world who hold so high the value of your word that they are willing to be imprisoned and persecuted for it. May you keep them strong in the faith, make them courageous to continue to read, to learn, and to grow and share who you are, and who you call your church to be. And as we reflect on it this morning, may you bless us with the power of your presence to, to give clarity to my words and to our hearts. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Just over 20 years ago, in 2001, I had the unique privilege of going to the country of Turkey. And one of the flights that I was part of flew from Istanbul, the capital city of Turkey, to Ankara, or uh, not the capital, to Ankara, the capital, which is in central Turkey. And this was a, an inter-country flight, which meant that the normal rules of air travel did not apply, which meant that when we as uh, 30 or so Americans boarded this plane, uh, we walked into a number of people who were smoking on the plane. You could still do that in 2001 in Turkey. 
And we also walked into a plain where many of the people sitting there did not believe in uh, hygiene in the same way that we had been taught as uh, 18 and 19 year olds to believe. Now, we, of course, as uh, Americans, immediately had our nostrils awakened to the reality of where we were, but for most people, it was not a big deal. Hygiene, uh, at least what was hygienic and what was clean, meant something different on that plane and in that culture. Not necessarily right or wrong, it just meant something different. Who determines what is clean is usually determined by the person who's in charge, right? My guess is that there have been a few conversations this past week about whether a room is considered clean or not, and usually that's been between two people who are not equals. I won't get into what the equals might be, but we'll pretend it's the child-parent relationship, right? Usually in a child-parent relationship, the child has one idea of what is clean, and so they clean their room to the, their satisfaction. They devote just enough time to what they consider to be acceptable, and the parent goes in and says, or says nothing at all, right? When we go through the dishes, uh, we put the... Some people have the idea that what it means to be clean is that when the dishwasher is full and we have some leftovers, it's okay to set them on the counter and leave them. Other people call that anathema. Clean means that the counter is completely free of any and all debris. No papers, no silverware, no old lunches, no containers, nothing. Clean means free of anything, right? We have different definitions of clean. And who is in control gets to decide what clean means. If we have roommates, college roommates, we learn quite quickly that the homes we grow up in have different definitions of clean, and we either have to learn how to accept another person's definition or they accept ours, or we sort of meet in the middle, right? We, we do, we sort of, we know that this sort of happens in, in lives. And as we think about clean, the other thing that we do is that when someone else is going to be coming into our system, we recognize that most often the level of clean needs to go up. So for example, in our house, when grandpa and grandma are coming over, it means that we don't just move stuff off the counter. It means that we wipe the sink down, we clean the toilet, we maybe even wash the floor, right? But when there are guests, not even grandpa and grandma, we go even beyond that, right? We sweep, we vacuum, we wash the uh, baseboards, we get the magic erasers out to do the windows, we do the whole thing because there are special guests who are coming and we want them to feel welcome, to feel at home, to feel like there is space for them. And if you were to, to come most of the time, at least to our house, there isn't space for you because there is stuff everywhere. Leviticus 
is a, is a, a book of the Bible that lays out what it means for people to be clean so that God can come over. And one of the tensions that we have in 2021 is that Jesus, in his coming, has changed how we understand how a lot of this works, how a lot of the specifics work. And so as we reflect on these passages this morning, we're going to try to look at the, the significant principles because those remain, right? When a parent says to a child, go clean your room, the parents through the generations might have different meanings for that, right? When you go tell a kid in a one-room log cabin to go clean their room, that means something very different because there's only one room. It means something very different than to tell a child who has their own room in the basement, off in a corner, to go clean your room so at least I can walk in it to, you know, give you a kiss goodnight. And yet Leviticus wants to make very clear that who determines what cleanliness is, is God. And how that happens and can be maintained is up to God. Now to also understand this, we've got to kind of think about Cleanliness in 2021. I'm not going to do a show of hands because you're going to side with my children, but if I were to ask you who should determine in our house who gets to determine clean, the parents or the children, we determine that by who owns the house. Right? Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. Right? So the, the one who owns the house... And whether you're an adult child or whatever, you're living under the, right? The person whose responsibility it is gets to determine what's clean. We in Genesis meet creator God who puts the planets into orbit, who puts the sun in the sky, who puts the moon in place, who creates the animals, the fish to swim, the birds to fly. He fills what has been separated. He declares it very good. And he is walking alongside of his people over the generations and he is providing for them. He is keeping them from famine, from death. He is giving them promised homeland. He has now rescued them from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And so God, from the beginning, has said, you are my people. You now live in my care. This is my dwelling. I get to determine what's clean and how we maintain relationship together. So sort of with all of that in front of us, Let's read just a few texts from Leviticus as we think about some of the themes, the theological themes uh, that God is telling us about himself and about his people. So the first one is Leviticus chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 27. If any member of the community sins unintentionally, 
and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for sin the one they have committed, a female goat without defect. They're to lay their hands on the head of the sin offering, slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering, and when the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Just note that when you're slaughtering an animal, the environment does not get cleaner, it gets dirtier. And yet this is the way, the mechanism, the method in which God is saying, this is how you're going to be clean. And in our minds, we're thinking, this makes no sense. You don't go to a meatpacking factory to get clean. But again, it's not our house. It's God's. You shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering. Notice we've named three offerings so far. We've got a sin offering, we've got a burnt offering, we've got a fellowship offering. There's also grain offerings, not noted in this passage. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. We get this part. Maybe some of us this afternoon are going to light up the grill for the last time. Is the aroma. We get this. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. Leviticus starts, of course, by talking about the fact that people sin and sometimes they know it and they need to be forgiven. God also lays out a plan for his people to say, you're going to sin sometimes and you're not going to know it. And somebody else is going to come up to you and say, you've sinned. And now the question becomes, how do you make that right? Not only do you, what do we do with sin that we know we commit, but what do we do with sin that we don't know we commit? And God says both sins are equal and must be dealt with. The ones we know about, the ones we don't know about. Skip ahead to chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 15. If you have your Bible open, or you're following along on your phone, or up on the screen. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offerings. He slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did for the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, taking a handful of it and burning it on the altar in addition of the morning's burnt offering. There's a few more things. And then we're going to skip down to verse 22. Then, after the offerings have been presented, Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and he blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Notice the order there. God says to the priests, here is how we're going to clean things up. And then I don't want you to just stop with the cleaning. I want you to take the opportunity to step in front of the people and say, it's clean. Sometimes we do this when we have guests over. Right, we, we welcome them, we take their coat, we hang it up, we say, oh, you wouldn't believe what it looked like a few hours ago, but we made sure we cleaned it for you. God wants his people to know that he has accepted what they, he has told them to do 
for sin to be covered. If we keep reading, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of the meeting. This one isn't on the screen. When they came out, they blessed the people. They blessed them again. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. God lays out in Exodus, the book before Leviticus, how to organize the tent. And it's sort of like what we're doing here. Okay, We've got four sections, and we're sort of organized around the pulpit here. We're organized around the front. We're organized around the tent in Exodus and Leviticus. And so the 12 tribes of Israel are all organized around the tent. And God appears. He comes down into the the tent, the front door for God to enter into the presence of his people is to come down and land, not to walk up one of the aisles, but to come down and to make himself known and present. And so Aaron blesses the people, and then there is this visible expression of God's glory that enters into the tent and the people of God, the the tents that are gathered around, all of the places where people who are living as part of the people of Israel, organized in their different tribes around the center tent, the tabernacle, they see God descend and they not only hear the word of blessing twice, they also see the presence of blessing. There's nothing worse than having a guest come over, walk in the front door, take one look around, I'll come back. Right? No one wants to uh, to talk about our apartments or our condo or our home like I talked about the flight from Istanbul to Ankara, where we spent two hours plugging our nose. We long for presence. We long for connection. We long for togetherness. And the God of creation maps out, lays out very clearly that this is how I will be with you. This is how you can maintain fellowship with me and how you can be clean. Again, our minds, I'll be the first to acknowledge it. When I read these things, I think, how does this make sense? And yet God is the one, because he's the owner of the home, says this is how it works. And his people are called to say, okay. One last text, Leviticus 19. Skip ahead. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice that this is a very long passage. We're only going to read the uh, beginning and the end. This is an important uh, passage because it lays out many of the Ten Commandments again, though in a very different form. So God has come down, his presence is among the people, and he says to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of God and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then there is a chapter full of invitations and commands followed by the refrain, I am the Lord your God. So respect your mother and father. I am the Lord your God. Don't worship idols because I am the Lord your God. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Don't swear by my name so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. 
Notice, don't curse the deaf or this to put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Over and over in this chapter, God says, be like me. Be holy. I have given you the ability to be clean in my presence so that I will dwell among you and my glory can fill the tent and your living space. And I want you not just to see the glory, I want you to be like me. And at the end of the chapter, just another strange sort of reference here, but use honest scales and honest weights. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Notice that refrain. I have taken you out of a place where you did not belong and I gave you a home. So keep my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. There's sort of a tension here that we as Christians feel. Because on the one hand, we know that we are not able to be perfectly holy and pure. And so we thank God for the cross. Can I get an amen? We thank God for Jesus. Because Jesus is the book of Leviticus that says, I will keep every law perfectly. I will take all of the sin, I will take all of the grain, I will take all of the guilt offerings upon myself. And in those moments where I'm hanging on the cross, all of hell, all of sin, all of darkness and death will come down upon me. And through my blood, you will be made pure. And so when we read Leviticus, some of these things are strange because we know that's not true of us, and yet there is this continued call. We heard it this morning. In 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. And we're challenged by that question, what are the three characteristics that come to mind? This basketball season, we're going to be filling gyms. And I wonder, do referees... Dread refing South Christian games or look forward to it? And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if all of the referees in West Michigan couldn't wait to go among Christians? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? If we posted less and instead posted right, if someone got a hold of our phone and could see what was deleted, where the cookies were from, would they hear, holy, as I am holy? And yet the call of God is to be so much like him because there's not a tent anymore. It's you and me. This tent is you. You are the dwelling place of the glory of God. And God himself lives in you because of Jesus, his son, 
And God's great plan from the beginning is that you and I as little tents, little temples, would be places where the glory of God emanates out so that when the nations see Israel gathered around the tent in the Old Testament, they think, we want to be like them. And when you and I go to Meijer and Family Fair and we go grocery shopping and we can't find what we are looking for, we take the opportunity to thank the manager for doing the very best they can. And we wait in line and we're 20th at Culver's because we know the line there and at Chick-fil-A is always long. We are the ones who are patient. And when someone says, thank you for being patient, we can say, we are because our creator God is patient with us. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. For you and I to be tents and tabernacles wherever we go. Movable worship spaces where the creator, redeemer of, the, of creation dwells and lives and the light of Christ goes forth. And so our call is a serious one. This call to be holy is not one from long ago that gets ignored. Jesus himself said to his disciples, be holy as I am holy. And we need the presence of Jesus and his spirit to help us do that. But we also need to take seriously who God has called us to be. Let's pray. God, we want to begin by asking for your forgiveness and grace. Because far too often we don't take seriously the call to be holy. More often than not, we hear we're more like those people that the letter of Romans is written to. You know, no, we don't go on sitting so that grace will abound, but we, we know that you'll forgive us, so sin isn't all that big of a deal. Oh God, we need your grace. And we need your grace when we are out and about because we know that we are poor tents. We are poor temples. We are poor lights. And yet that's your plan. That just as the Father sent Jesus, our Savior, your Son, into the world, so Jesus sent us. To be ones who maybe reflect and refract light but who nevertheless, the light can be seen. And God, there are incredible moments that so many of us have been part of and that we have seen and maybe even experienced ourselves where someone made room for us. Someone went out of their way to express the love of Jesus to us or we did that for someone else. And in that moment, all, it was like heaven was opened and heaven and earth collided in that moment. And God, we long for those holy moments and those places and we long to be used by you 
And so, God, may we never forget that we are tents and that you have called us to be your presence, committed to a world, and in that way to bless it. We pray in Jesus' name.